Hello, my friends, and welcome back. This sermon today is going to be for Good Friday, which is tomorrow. And this is not so much a sermon as it is a chronological listing of events that Jesus experienced during Friday. Now, a little background. Pilate was the governor overseeing Judea, Idumea, and Samaria. The Sanhedrin had no power to execute condemned prisoners without the approval of the Roman government. Now, Pilate began his ministry when John the Baptist began his. His primary responsibilities were financial administration and collection of taxes for the Roman Empire. Pilate also needed to approve and carry out the execution of anyone sentenced to death by the people's own government, and here again, that is the Sanhedrin, a part of the religious leaders for the Jews. Now, Pilate was very capricious in his judicial duties. So let's begin now by talking about what happened first. This is after being arrested. So Pilate was the first to see Jesus very early Thursday morning. Jesus was taken from Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin to Pilate, and this is in Matthew 27. What we're going to do again is we're going to go through a chronological listing of events. So we're not going to be in any one gospel for any particular time. It's going to be whichever gospel has the next step. Now, Judas, you might remember, took 30 pieces of silver as payment for turning Jesus in. In Matthew 27 also, Judas gives back his payment. The Sanhedrin levied a false and sly accusation against Jesus to justify being before Pilate. They need a reason to be there. And so it's a three-part process. First, it was that Jesus was perverting the nation. The Jews believed that the Galileans were seditious. They were disturbers of the peace, just short of insurrection. Next, they said that Jesus was forbidding the payment of taxes to Caesar. Now, this was a cunning and outright lie. It would have been a highly offensive crime that would have spurred Pilate's anger. But notice they didn't say he taught people to do this. That would have been easy to disprove. Finally, they said that Jesus claimed to be Christ, a king. Now, a true statement in a way, but not the way the Sanhedrin meant it. Jesus was the king of heaven, not a rival of Caesar's. And this is the charge that Pilate had to address. So switching over to John chapter 18, we see that Pilate questioned Jesus, and he asked in verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responded by telling Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world in verse 36. And so what was the conclusion of this interaction? Pilate found no fault in Jesus. So what did Pilate do? Sent Jesus off to Herod. Herod was in Jerusalem at this time. The people insisted that Jesus be condemned, stating that he had stirred up the people against Pilate and against Caesar in Galilee. Now, this was just the out that Pilate needed. Jesus was from Galilee, and Galilee was outside of his jurisdiction. So off to Herod, Jesus went. Now, Herod was in Jerusalem during this time. So Pilate sent Jesus to him to, if you will, to pass the buck. Who is Herod? He was the procurator of Galilee, and he was the murderer of John the Baptist. If you go to Matthew 14, you'll see that. Now, Herod hoped to see a miracle, but Jesus wouldn't even answer a question. 
And so after mocking and falsely accusing Jesus, Jesus was given a shiny robe, which was the opposite of his modesty, and part of their shaming him. What is the conclusion of this interaction? Herod found no fault in Jesus. So what happened? Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. Now, Pilate still found no crime in Jesus. That word crime is important. So there's a great trade-off here. Pilate offered to whip Jesus to please the crowd, then release him. So this first beating occurred. This was a serious and undeserved beating. And Pilate offered his customary choice to release a prisoner of the people's asking. We're in Mark chapter 15 now. So there are two people being offered. There's Barabbas, the murderer, and there's Jesus. The people chose a murderer over Jesus. And so Pilate now is stuck with the same problem. He asked, what do I do with Jesus? And so in Matthew 27 now, the crowd yelled, crucify him. In Matthew 27, Pilate advocated for Jesus' release before the crowd. Nothing new here. Pilate does not see a reason why Jesus should be condemned. The crowd, however, shouted ongoing and louder, crucify him. Once again, now shifting over to Luke 23, Pilate pleads for Jesus' life. But the crowd yelled louder and louder to crucify him. So Pilate asked in Luke 23, Again, what crime Jesus committed and once again offered to have him beaten, again, and released. But the loud yells of the crowd finally prevailed. So Jesus was, in fact, beaten a second time. And this time, it was a flogging or a scourging. This is John chapter 19. Let's talk just for a minute about a flogging. It involved being whipped severely, Now, the flagellum was the tool used in the flogging. It was a handle with long straps of leather with nails and other sharp things either pierced into or tied onto the end of these leather straps. Now, picture the one holding this flagellum, spinning it forward like a whip. It would have come to the body and then hooked in as it continued to rotate around so that the nails and these sharp objects would dig severely and deeply into the body. Then they would rip back this flagellum so that they could do it again. And as they ripped it back, those nails and sharp objects literally tore the skin right into the muscle off of the body. This is a severe whipping. Once this was done, somehow Jesus... Survived. Of course, we know he had to survive because he had to get to that cross for you and me. But I think of a human being surviving such a thing. There There are accounts of many people who went through a flogging to go to a crucifixion, and they never made it alive out of the flogging. Jesus was indeed strong. So we see in John 19, chapter 2, that Jesus received a scarlet robe and a crown of thorns after this was done. Now, it's not clear the exact type of a thorny bush, but doubtless the thorns were sharp and caused pain and distress. The soldiers we see in verse 3 abused further and mocked Jesus. Jesus is returned to Pilate after this now. Now, according to our chronological listing of events, for the fifth time, 
Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the crowd was unwavering now, accusing Jesus of blasphemy, which is punishable by death according to Jewish laws. Pilate spoke with Jesus to try to get him to open up, because he really hadn't yet. Pilate's hot issue here was that he was not accustomed to not being answered in his court. His pride of office was probably overpowering any compassion he had for Jesus. Pilate actually continued to attempt to have Jesus freed. Now, why was he not bolder against the demands of the Jewish leaders? He had the authority here, not them. Well, the religious leaders pulled an ace out of their hats. The Jews had no real loyalty to Caesar, making this statement hypocrisy. But they threatened Pilate with not being loyal to Caesar by trying to free this man, quote-unquote. They returned to the accusation of sedition by suggesting that Jesus was rivaling himself to Caesar as a king. The current Caesar was Tiberius, possibly the cruelest ruler to sit on a throne in the empire's history, the Roman Empire. So we jump over to Matthew 27 now to the famous conclusion of Pilate. He washed his hands of the matter. He was defeated at this point. And I believe he sought to free himself from any guilt and avoid a riot. Well, that part of Jesus' day is over. Any attempts of having a fair trial are over. Badly bleeding and exhausted from beatings and entire overnight of accusations, mocking, and local travel from one ruler to another, Jesus was now made to carry his cross out of Jerusalem towards Golgotha. We're in Mark 15 for just that piece. Now, Jesus had tremendous difficulty carrying the cross along the Via della Rosa, it's called, this road, this traveling out to Golgotha. And so this man named Simon, who had just returned to Jerusalem, Simon of Cyrene, was forced by the guards to carry Jesus' cross the rest of the way. This is in Luke 23. All right, let's talk about the crucifixion for a minute. The cross was composed of two pieces of, a lot of people say wood. Think of a tree. One was placed upright in the earth, and the other crossed it so it looked like a cross. The upright part was usually several feet so that the feet of the person crucified were at least two to three feet above the ground. It's possible that Jesus' cross was even higher than that. On the middle of the upright part, there was usually a projection or a seat on which the person crucified sat, or some have said they rode that piece. Now, this was necessary as the hands were not alone strong enough to bear the weight of the body. As the body was left exposed often many days, and not unfrequently suffered to remain till the flesh had been devoured by vultures or putrefied in the sun. The crucifixion was probably the cruelest way of execution, not just during Jesus' day. It went on for 300 years. The feet were fastened to this upright piece, either by nailing them with large spikes driven through the tender part of the feet or by being lashed by cords. To the cross piece at the top, the hands being extended now were also fashioned either by spikes or by cords, or perhaps in some cases by both. The hands and feet of our Savior were both fastened by spikes. Now, in Luke 23, where we are now, we see that Jesus, Jesus was crucified between two guilty men. 
It is the third hour of the day, or 9 a.m., according to Mark 15. The same time, interestingly, that the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed for the symbolic remission of the sins of Israel. Now, Jesus' first recorded words, our Father, get this now, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. After the cruelty, after the hatred, after the flogging, after the beatings, after the mocking, after the horrors of getting to Golgotha, after being spiked, nailed to this tree, Jesus' first recorded words were seeking forgiveness for the very people who put him there. That's love. The Jewish leaders made fun of him. Their hatred, their unbelief ran deep. The soldiers mocked him. Now, in the Greek, it suggests that they acted childishly with their mocking and offered a very sour drink to Jesus. A total travesty of his plan to save us was made while he was on the cross. Even one of the criminals joined the rest of mocking uh, the rest of the crowd as they mocked Jesus. The criminals were most likely not nailed to their crosses and had more life in them than Jesus did. They were most likely not flogged either. Now, one criminal joined the rest with mocking Jesus, but the other rebuked that first criminal from what seemed to be an open heart ready to be harvested. The criminals were rightly condemned. This criminal knew that Jesus was who he said he was. And what did Jesus say to this criminal? He was asked, Jesus was asked, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said what? Today you will be with me in paradise. I have no doubt that that criminal was saved. All right, let's move on. Jesus is concerned for his mother next, going to John chapter 19, and he gives her care to John. Mary was poor. She didn't have a home. And Jesus was filled with compassion in his dying moments for his mother and gave her an adopted son, that's John, to care for her. Next, as we switch over to Matthew 27, we see there is a quiet three hours from 12 noon to 3 p.m. The sun was greatly darkened by the power of God to show the dignity of the death of Jesus. As the brightness of the sun of righteousness was going dim for a time, so did the sun. Now, there's a Roman astronomer from that time named Phlegon, and he wrote that in the 14th year of the reign of Tiberius, that's this particular year we're talking about, he said this, and this is a quote, the greatest eclipse of the sun that was ever known happened then, for the day was so turned into night that the stars appeared. Remember now, this is three in the afternoon, and it's so dark, the stars appeared. Jesus literally took on our sins at approximately 3 p.m., according to Matthew 27. God forsook him in that one split moment and allowed him to become sin, so terrible in the Father's sight that he removed his divine presence and allowed Jesus to suffer the full wrath that sin deserves. In John 19 and verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. He completed the work of salvation by being our perfect substitute on the cross. And notice that according to this verse, he gave up his spirit. Now, proof that Jesus was indeed dead, because some said he didn't die. Some said that, that he passed out. And when they put him in the tomb, he came to and somehow moved this huge stone and escaped. 
But we know from modern medical science that Jesus was in fact dead because when his side was pierced by a sword, blood and water came out. Blood separates into its two components when a person dies. We know that today medically. We know, therefore, Jesus was indeed dead. All right, Matthew 27. Let's talk just for a minute about the post-crucifixion miracles. The temple had this curtain, very tall, very thick, very wide, very heavy, huge. The curtain of the temple ripped into two pieces. That could not have been done by a man. Then we see in Matthew 27, this is in verse 51, this and the temple, the curtain ripping, there was a large earthquake that occurred. And now in verses 52 and 53, we have that which only God can do. People who were dead came out of their graves and were later seen in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. Eyewitnesses to this stated what they saw. All right, it brings us towards the end here with the burial. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for Jesus' body so he could bury it in a tomb. We're in Mark 15. Jesus' body was prepared for burial, placed in the tomb, and a great, that's in quotations, a great stone, most likely cut from rock, sealed the entire entrance for security. The Jewish leaders feared that Jesus' body would be stolen, so they petitioned Pilate for some soldiers to guard the tomb. That, my friends, is all that happened on Friday, Good Friday, leading up to Jesus' death on that cross. And this is going to bring us to Easter Sunday, to the resurrection, to the glory of God, to the power of Christ. And so, my friends, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we have. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your love that Jesus went through such a horrific series of events, those things that sin required. And he did it for us, we who could never deserve it, because we would have to go through this. We would have to carry our own cross. But Jesus did it for us. We thank you, Lord, that your love for us is so great and it is so undeserved. Help us to meditate on these facts. Help us to meditate on the sacrifice of God going to the cross to die for us. And we ask this and we thank you in your holy name. Amen. All right, my friends, meditate on this. I pray that you're blessed by this message and I will talk to you soon.